The old covenant is a shadow of the new covenant. What's the new covenant? We'll talk about it in a moment. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembrick. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We're taking you through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Very exciting. It is a good day to read the Bible. Ryan, what's going on? All right, well, today I'm talking about our new eternal priest who is not of the Aaronic order, but rather of the order of Melchizedek. That's very interesting because Melchizedek is a very fascinating character. Anyway, Janice? Today in Christ alone. All right, very good. And we'll talk to Richard and Richard with Creation Ministries International. So Richard. Thanks for having me back. Gonna talk <laughs> about global climate change and a few other things. It's gonna be very interesting. All right, so let's get ready and let's open up our Bibles and our Bible guides. If you don't have a Bible guide, by the way, you need to write to us or call us or something. We'll make sure you get set up for next year. Right now, let's open up the Bible and study what God has said. Hebrews 8, 1 through 13. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord." For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. In that, he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 13.
Hebrews chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. That's what we read today as we go into the book of Hebrews. Now remember that Hebrews was written to the Jewish people, the Hebrews, and they knew the author, even though we don't know the author today. Now, there are some people who suspect the author, but we don't know who that author is. Nevertheless, it is an interesting passage of scripture. The word covenant means a binding agreement, usually formal, between two or more persons to do or to not do something very specific. Now, God uses the term covenant in a unique way. While God honors his covenants because he's perfect and holy, we cannot honor our covenants with him because of sin inside of us. The author of the Hebrews notes that the old covenant between God and Israel depended on the oath of man, but they did not continue in that covenant. The old covenant required a priest who would offer sacrifices to God for himself and the people to forgive their sins over and over again. But the new covenant, which was different because the oath was made entirely by God, where Jesus Christ is our high priest and continual intercession on behalf of us for the Lord, Jesus Christ, who being sinless, offered himself as a sacrifice on our behalf to pay the cost of sin once and for all. His own blood obtained eternal redemption. God now places his law in our hearts and our minds when we turn away from sin and turn our hearts towards him. Each of us must make a decision about Jesus Christ and his new covenant extended to us. Have you made that decision today? Have you invited Jesus Christ into your heart and into your life? I want to encourage you. That's what you need to do. That's what will make your covenant with God because we live in the time of the new covenant. Very important. Now, the new covenant is important in Hebrews chapter eight. This is a great book. Take your Bible guide and turn to it. If you don't have your Bible guide, call us or write to us. We'll send you one. Or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and we'll click on the Bible guide page. It'll take you to donate. Thank you for your donations. We really appreciate them. It'll take you to a page where you can download it as we printed it. We have many thousands of people doing that. So please do that, especially overseas. And we need to pray because as we pray, let's ask the Lord to show us his way and teach us his paths. Father, as we look at chapter 8 of Hebrews, we are fascinated because, first of all, it's written to the Hebrew people. That's first. But Lord, also, we need to hear what it says today, right now, in the new covenant. Because, Father, there are many people who are not getting it right. But we want to get this right. We want to know. And Lord, I pray today, if there's anybody watching or listening to me now who does not know you, they would make that decision to know you today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. As we look at chapter 8, this gets really interesting. It says, now, this is the main point, the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected, and not man. 
For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessity that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he also mediator of the better covenant, which was established on better promises. What's he saying? The old covenant on earth was a shadow cast by the new covenant God placed in heaven. Jesus Christ, our mediator of the new and better covenant, has done that. And that's where we're at today. We're under the new covenant times. And in those times, we simply have to reach out and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and forgive me of my sin. I need you today. I know you died on the cross. I believe in you. Help me to serve you. I know you rose from the dead. Help me to rise from the dead in eternity in Jesus' name. Amen. You pray a prayer like that, and you're serious about it. And when you do that, it's very, very interesting. Now let's go back to chapter 8, verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been made or been sought for a second. But because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I discarded them, says the Lord. Fascinating. God honors the new covenant he founded in heaven. We should pay attention to the word of God when it speaks of Jesus and the new covenant. Now, the word of God, we study the Old Testament as well as the new. We're getting ready to go back into the Old Testament because the original testament of the Bible is very important. And the New Testament is also important. It's all one Bible, 66 books. And beloved, as we look at these things and we understand them, God explains to us what his son is going to do when his son comes on earth, and then we can read what his son did. So it's like the perfect explanation of God's covenants. Very interesting, isn't it? All right, we got to keep on with the time here. So let's go back to Hebrews 8.10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God. They shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none of none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. In that, he says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming of the obsolete and growing old? is ready to vanish away. So, 
Paul says the new covenant is the spiritual and requires our faith to learn and understand. We must take a step of faith in our thinking to grab hold of salvation. That's what God says. That's what he means. He'll put his law on our hearts and on our minds. Because in the new covenant, we come to know Jesus Christ. And then we, we're so overwhelmed by the power of the Holy Spirit that we say, Lord, I got to serve you. And Father, help us today to serve you and help us to understand that your Holy Spirit is here right now. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study, and today our reading is Hebrews chapters 5 through 8. And many times throughout the book, the author declares, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is a quote from Psalm 110, in which David foresaw the Messiah as an eternal priest, not according to the order of the Aaronic priesthood, but rather according to the order of Melchizedek. Like Melchizedek, the Messiah, too, would be both king and priest. Also, this eternal priest king would not come from the tribe of Levi, as Aaron did, but rather from Judah. And this was announced all the way back in Genesis. Of course, this king priest goes by many titles throughout the scriptures, but one is found in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, Shiloh. Let's study. In Jacob's patriarchal blessing of his 12 sons, he makes several prophecies regarding what will become of the respected tribes in the latter days. Of Judah, Jacob proclaims, among other things, that his tribe will be the royal tribe, and adds that the scepter shall not depart from him, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes. So kingship shall not depart from him until Shiloh comes. But who or what is Shiloh? As Jewish scholar Arnold Fruchtenbaum explains, there is more than one way to understand this phrase. One option is to take this to be a messianic name. Although in Hebrew, this word is spelled differently than the city of Shiloh, mentioned in the books of Judges, Joshua, and Samuel. However, one problem with taking it as a proper name is that Shiloh is feminine, but the verb is masculine. Furthermore, elsewhere, Shiloh is the name of a place and not the name of a person. And the city was located within Ephraim and not within Judah. Another option is to take Shiloh as a possessive pronoun to be translated whose it is or whose right it is. This, says Fruchtenbaum, would be the better option, and the phrase would be translated until he come whose right it is. The Septuagint translates it this way, and so does the Syriac version. So do the Dead Sea Scrolls. Another passage that seems to agree with this understanding is Ezekiel 21:27. In this very close parallel passage, God Almighty proclaims, Overthrown, overthrown, I will make it overthrown. It shall be no longer, until he comes whose right it is. Similarly, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, or until he come whose right it is. This, of course, is the Messiah, 
and once he comes to rule, there will be no need for any successor, since his will be an everlasting kingdom. Interestingly enough, all rabbinic views on Genesis 49.10 also took this verse as messianic. In fact, some even claim that the Messiah is called Shiloh to indicate he will be born of a woman, since the amniotic sac in which the fetus is formed in the womb is called a Shiloh. The Messiah's name Shiloh indicates he will be born from a Shiloh. Of course, the prophet Isaiah would later proclaim that this would be no ordinary birth, but that the woman Messiah would be born to would be a virgin. Therefore, Jacob's prophecy regarding Judah all the way back in Genesis 49 was looking all the way forward to Jesus Christ's second coming. So this was a segment that I produced a few years back and I've had the chance to learn even more about this prophecy since then. And so I just want to make a slight revision to the end of my report where I said that this Shiloh prophecy in Genesis 49.10 would be fulfilled at Jesus Christ's second coming. I've actually come to realize that this messianic prophecy seems to have already been fulfilled at Jesus Christ's first coming, at least the first part of it anyway. And I'll show you how I came to that conclusion on tomorrow's program. Yeah, that's very interesting. Excellent, Ryan. Very good. Janice? Yes. Well, this portion of scripture in Hebrews chapter 8 that we're focusing on today talks about a new priestly service and a new covenant. And over the next two days, I'm not going to be singing it, but I am going to be reading um, two verses today and two verses tomorrow from one of my favorite hymns in Christ Alone. It was written by Keith and Kristen Getty. And this really describes um, the new covenant and for those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus Christ. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm, through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. Wow, that's amazing. That's a great song too. Uh, very good, Janice. Thank you so we'll much finish for that. that. Off tomorrow. Yeah, that's great. Excellent, excellent. Okay. Uh, we needed to talk about this because a lot of people are and we're talking about climate change and we're not going to get politically involved or anything like that because everybody's very much into climate. But I want to ask specific questions related to Richard here, who's a former engineer, uh, electronic engineer, about climate change and about the problems we have. Richard, uh, there are people and he's Creation Ministries International or Creation Ministries is the or creation.com is the website. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people who say, well, in 10 years, you know, the, the temperature's raising so fast. In 10 years, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. We've got to get to electric cars. It's got to happen now. We're late. It's not going to happen. Yeah. We have an emergency. Climate change, that's an emergency. 
is yeah. it? No, it's it's not an emergency. That's that's it, and that's not just an emotional thing. That's not just a whatever right wing Christian thing. It's what the data shows. It's what, what does the data show? The data shows that there's no emergency. There's yes, things are changing, going up and down a little bit, uh, but it's not changing at, at at a level that should engender fear in for anyone. It, it, and that's the way it's often being used, right? Uh, we got to change. You've got to do this. You've got to pay more taxes, and you go. You got a carbon tax now, and so on. And uh, and, and it's it's a fear-based decision making, which is never a good thing to do. Yeah. So, in other words, uh, the the motivation for this kind of thing, uh, in any other way, is to encourage people to to pay taxes, encourage people to pay a price, but the price is used for somebody else to get the money, and that becomes a problem. Yeah, it's, it's a huge complex issue. It's, yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's, there's political influence, there's a lot of money involved. Uh, there, there's, it's, it's a complex, not a simple issue. We did a, a 14,000 word article that was edited by one of our scientists and many, many scientists and researchers contributed. It took a long time to put this together. And, uh, and it's, it's quite comprehensive. It looks at the climate uh, change from many different angles. And, uh, and what's it's a big article. It's, it's okay. What's the article called? Do you remember? Uh, the, the, I'm not sure. You can okay. search, well, search on climate change at creation.com. You'll find it. So yeah. you've got yeah. scientists. So these are not just regular guys. These are not guys who are former meteorologists or anything. But these are regular scientists who look at the information and they say, here's what we know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, look at the data. so people yeah. want the truth. And they just want to see what the science says. They can go there and look at it. Yes. Okay. Well, and yeah. I think, too, it's always good to ask questions, isn't it? Sure. As yeah. people, we need to be asking questions. So it's good to see both sides, to hear both sides, and then make your decisions. Not Absolutely. follow, yeah. follow yeah. a majority, say, or whatever. You, you, we need to take responsibility for what we think and what right. we believe, yeah. right? And as Christians, we want to have a, a, a biblical way of thinking. We want to have a Christian world and life view. Yes. And so we want to start our thinking with the Bible and what the Bible says about the earth and about where it's going and about what's happening and not, uh, not be driven by fear, but yes. be driven by scripture yes. in our decision-making. Change is uh, an interesting thing. And uh, there was seems to be change between before the flood and after the, or before the Noah's flood and after Noah's flood. Oh yeah. In the plants and in everything else, what happened? Well, in a lot of things were, were uh, killed in the flood. Uh, those things that were rapidly buried may have become fossils. Rapid burial is really the first thing, uh, the first step in fossilization. That's why normally fossilization doesn't happen. Things die and then they just rot and they disappear. They don't become fossils. Um, but it's interesting, j- just going off of climate change, a lot of the, the plant fossils that were buried in the flood, so these are pre, those were living pre-flood, plants need CO2 for photosynthesis to make their, their, their sugars and so on, and, and with water. And uh, there's, there's good evidence for 10 to 15 times the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere before the flood than there was later. The flood buried huge amounts of carbon. It dramatically changed the carbon balance in the atmosphere. The, so hmm. there's less carbon now than there was before. Yes, the flood. we're in a we're in a carbon deficit now. <laughs> Even now, this, this this many you know thousands of years after the flood, we're still in a carbon deficit compared to before the flood. Because wow. 
that's the plant food. It's CO2 is plant food. Yeah, and, like we said a couple of weeks ago. You need so. the CO2 in order for the plants to do what they do. Yeah. Companies that make our vegetables, you know, tomato plants down in Leamington or whatever it might be, they pump CO2 into their greenhouses because it's good for the plants. <laughs> it's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's important to hear because uh, a lot of people think, well, we got to get rid of carbon dioxide. I mean, that's killing everybody. That and... would be bad if yeah. that would happen. <laughs> yeah. It would be very bad. <laughs> very good. Well, anyway, this is so Creation Ministries International is your ministry, and or it's the ministry that uh, you uh, run and all of that. So you go into churches and you yeah. speak. And yeah, when you and go I mean, into, I head up the through. Canadian office, right? Yeah. So there are seven offices around the world. We have a U.S. office out of Atlanta. They cover all the U.S. and a U.K. Europe office in, uh, in, in, in Leicester over in England there. And they cover all of Europe as well. So, yeah. Okay, so if this program's on in many places. We're on the internet, of course, as well. We've got a lot of people who watch around the world. Great. And uh, so if they want to get in touch with you or contact you, they just go to creation.com. Creation.com. And then whatever country they're from, the website will automatically recognize that. And the contact information will take you to your nearest creation, your nearest CMI office. Now you did, when you did the seminar with us, you did a, the first one we did was a Saturday and a Sunday. And that was a good one. Uh, do you do Saturdays and Sundays or do you do one service? Do you do two? Do you do what? Do oh, you do? there's a whole variety. Whatever works with the church. So you uh, work with the church? Yes. Yes. Hmm. Okay. Oftentimes, good. just last week, I was at a church we'd never been to in our, in our 20 plus years of ministry here in Canada. Never been there before. And we try to go to new churches. We'd lo love going back to churches where we've been, but we want to go to all churches, regardless of size. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Very good. Well, uh, one more day, we're going to talk to you about that. And okay. we'll talk about Creation Ministry International Canada. And they have a Creation Ministry uh, International, of course, in the United States of America and one in Europe, as you heard. Uh, but if you want to find out about Creation Ministries, the one place you can go is creation.com. Creation.com. Just go there. They've got 14,000 articles. It is great. And a big article on climate change and the whole thing there. So... This is a really good thing to do. So check it out, creation.com. Right now, let's get back to the prayer on the program. Three days a week, that's what we do. Live prayer meeting, 3.30 to 4.30 Eastern time in the United States of America. If you're in Africa, if you're in Australia, if you're in Europe, doesn't matter where you're at, if you're in Australia, wherever you're at, get on the internet and join us. We're live and we'll take your prayer request in the chat room. That's at BibleDiscoveryTV.com, Facebook and YouTube. Make sure you are there. Today we pray, Lord, help us to understand and build on my faith today, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. 